Hello and welcome back to our podcast, Where Do I Know Them From, where we review every single movie that Sam Claflin has ever been in. As always, my name is Alexandra. And I'm Elizabeth. And we are really getting into some popular films again, which I'm glad for. (laughs) Are you? Or maybe not so glad for. (laughs) I think that this is the most divided Alexandra and I have ever been over a movie. (laughs) You know, the last like couple we've been pretty divided on, which has been good. We've been having some good, healthy conversations. (laughs) If you say so. So Elizabeth, you want to start us off with some letterbox reviews? I would love nothing more. First, we have three stars. In this universe, Sherlock Holmes is not actually smart. He is just really buff and everyone is too intimidated to tell him he is wrong. (laughs) Then we have two stars. (laughs) It wasn't even that bad. I just don't believe in British people, which is always my favorite. I love a letterboxd review that says British people aren't real. They're not. Like, (laughs) prove it. Prove it to me. Shout out to my brother who never listens to this podcast, but this woman on Hinge said to him, quote, as her opening line, you seem British, IDK if that's a bad thing. (laughs) Maybe it is based on this one. Very funny. They're all hot in this movie. It's fine. Three stars. The set designers for this film must have made a fortune considering how much Millie Bobby Brown breaks the fourth wall, (laughs) which I thought was very good. Phenomenal. Very <laughs> funny review. <laughs> well, probably that last one kind of gave it away, and maybe the first one too. But this was Enola Holmes. Enola. It came out in 2020. Enola Holmes actually has a sequel that is out right now that Sam Claflin does not appear in. So, luckily for me, we will not be watching it. This movie was directed by Harry Bradbeer and screenwritten by Jack Thorne, and was edited by Adam Bosman. The cinematography is by Giles Nudgens, and I just have to say that name is so British that it's, like, painful to look at and read. It's so, oh my gosh, when I was typing that out, I was like, this is the silliest thing to ever happen to us. Yeah, (laughs) that might be one of our more egregiously British names. Yeah, it was definitely, definitely British. Yeah, I mean, like, good job, Giles, or whatever, but, like, your name, a little, a little too British, too, too on the nose. The costuming was by Consoletta Boyle, and it is based on The Case of the Missing Marquis and Enola Holmes Mystery, which is a book by Nancy Springer, and also, of course, more broadly on Sherlock Holmes, the entire, like, world, which is now in the public domain, so anyone can do whatever they want with it. We'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, we will. This movie was 123 minutes long, and I have to say, it was way too long. Yeah. We'll be talking about that, but it was way too long. The major actors include Millie Bobby Brown who plays Enola Holmes, Sam Claflin, who plays Mycroft Holmes, Henry Cavill, who plays Sherlock Holmes, hence our point earlier about Sherlock Holmes not actually having brains but just having muscles, something we'll get to when we talk about Henry Cavill's portrayal of him. Helena Bonham Carter plays their mother, Eudoria Holmes. Adil Akhtar plays Lestrade. Fiona Shaw, who we recognize from Saoirse season on Ammonite, plays a family friend slash school teacher slash just like generic mean lady lewis partridge susie wakoma and Byrne gorman the score is by daniel pemberton who is one of my favorite contemporary composers so i was very excited i thought that the music was really fun and jazzy and it was produced by legacy pictures and pcma productions it was distributed by netflix just as a quick note netflix do you pay your writers <laughs> yeah please pay your writers thank you and your very basic plot is While searching for her missing mother, intrepid teen Enola Holmes uses her sleuthing skills to outsmart big brother Sherlock and help a runaway lord. 
that's basically it. Like, I, I that's what happens. She's girl boss. It's girl boss Sherlock Holmes. The plot is her mom goes missing. She runs away because Mycroft comes in and says, You have to go to school. And she's like, <laughs> School, gross. And so she runs away. It's like Matilda and Sherlock Holmes had a baby. You're so right. Yeah, oh my God. Right down to the mean teacher. So she runs away. She meets this missing Marquis, hence the title of the book that it's based on. They become maybe kind of bros, maybe kind of more. Ooh. Ooh. And she is sort of trying to solve the mystery of why he had to run away from home while her brother Sherlock is looking for her and also looking for him. She is smarter than him because she is a girl, according to the plot of this movie. Slay. Then I think that she decides not to get found, but she does solve the missing Marquis mystery. Yes. She gets that bread. She finds herself a place to stay and she establishes herself independently of her brother's. Importantly, she does also find her mother, but does not convince her mother to come back home. The missing mother plot line is something that I actually want to talk to you about because I think that it's weird. (laughs) Okay. This movie received, as you can maybe tell from the way that Elizabeth and I are talking about it, some very mixed reviews critically. It has been somewhat divisive. Not really. People don't talk about it that much, but it has been somewhat divisive. It has a 91% on the Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter, which is certified fresh, with the audience giving it a clean 20 points lower at 71%. Respectable. The critic consensus reads that Enola Holmes brings a breath of fresh air to Baker Street and leaves plenty of room for Millie Bobby Brown to put her effervescent stamp on a franchise in waiting. And it did become a franchise, so part of that is true. I think that it certainly is a different Sherlock Holmes, so it's a breath of fresh air in that way. Metacritic, predictably, is far lower. It has a 68% from critics. And you'll never guess. And the audience has given it a 2.8. Of course, because it's girl Sherlock Holmes. And if there's one thing that you can't mess with in the Reddit neckbeard universe that is Metacritic, it's Sherlock Holmes. When I read the audience rating on Metacritic for this movie, I was like, I don't take back a single thing that I have said about Metacritic on this podcast. Like, this is the shining example of all of my beef with that site. And it's just that they hate women. (laughs) It's just like when we talked about Charlie's Angels and the divide between Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic is just so stark. And here it even reaches into the critic consensus, which is wild to me because usually they're pretty close together. That being said, I feel like I want everyone to know that I don't disagree with the Metacritic audience. I myself gave it three and a half stars, so I didn't think it was a great movie. But just the fact that Metacritic's audience score is so much lower than even the Rotten Tomatoes audience score, let alone its own critical score, I cannot like it. There's no other explanation in my mind. I have to agree as well. I did not like this movie. I think I gave it two stars, not to like give away our analysis all the, all the way at the beginning, but I wasn't a huge fan. But yes, just the the striking difference between those two platforms says something, yeah. especially since it's become a pattern. Yes. And then Letterboxd gave it three stars. Good old middle of the road. Our good old Letterboxd. Letterboxd can be like relied upon to be so middle of the road. Like it will always be somewhere in the three-ish yeah. range. A couple of notes on the production of this movie. Millie Bobby Brown, our main actress who plays Enola Holmes, actually produced this film. She was one of the producers, and she was inspired to take the role and to produce the film after reading the book with her sister. She's actually now set to produce, I think, star in another book-to-film adaptation that she read with her sister, so this might become a very fruitful like book club. 
Uh, and it was actually her idea to put in the fourth wall breaks. And I have to say, Millie Bobby Brown, that was my least favorite part of the film. So some fun facts about the filming of this. The Holmes family residence, which they call Ferndale Hall, was filmed at Benthal Hall in Shropshire. Benthal Hall had not previously been used as a filming location, which is usually pretty unique. A lot of historic homes get used over and over again. And so you'll come to recognize them as you watch a lot of period films. But this one had not been previously used. And the production design team actually was helped out a lot by the current head groundskeeper there who allowed the place to become super overgrown to achieve the like kind of natural and let go look that they wanted for Eudoria's raising of Enola to be kind of like a wild child. I thought that was really nice. I just felt like the groundskeeper deserved yeah. a little shout. We don't often talk about set design and set designers in particular on this podcast. On the topic of Eudoria, Helena Bottom Carter called her role of Eudoria Holmes the smallest, greatest part I've ever been offered. And that she was really appreciative of the depth of that character, even though she did not have a lot of screen time. I have to say, I don't know where that is coming from. Eudoria Holmes was the typecast that Helena Bonham Carter has fallen into, which is weird lady. Yeah. I didn't see anything different about this one from any of her other roles. I think that this one has more opportunity for like ambiguity and emotion than her other characters who are usually like evil and crude for comic Mm, relief okay this one was certainly like warmer i guess her like harry potter role isn't particularly funny but most of her other ones are yeah she would honestly be such an interesting actress to watch all of her movies but she has way too many for us to do on this pod and she does a lot of like cameos cameos, yeah too bad on the costuming side, we kind of keep switching back and forth between technical and acting. Approximately 30 costumes were created for Enola's character and costumes like the red powder puff dress, which she wears for kind of a significant chunk of the middle of the movie when it does a lot of action scenes in. When you're hoping that the movie is over. Honestly. Had to be repeated several times because of the physicality and that they would get damaged in the multiple takes of fighting. That dress in particular, the red powder puff dress that she wears in the middle, which is quite iconic. I think it's the one that's on the poster. It was based on theatrical costumes of the period, and the designer wanted to use red, the color of courage, to kind of like code Enola as being a more courageous, more independent woman. The costume designer, Consoletta Boyle, actually had a lot of like feminist themes that she tried to inject into this costuming. For example, in Enola's final dress, which is much more Edwardian in style than Victorian, like the original Powderpuff one, which is something that I didn't care for, the like crossing over of decades. But that dress that she wears at the end draws on the colors violet green and ivory which kind of play with the suffragette movement which used the colors green purple and white as it's as it's like ribbon colors they were the colors of the suffragette movement in britain Mm -hmm. this movie in addition to being divisive critically was also divisive legally the arthur conan doyle estate filed a lawsuit against netflix over the film claiming that it violated copyright by depicting sherlock holmes as having emotions and i think that that is probably one of the funnier cases that has ever been argued in court yeah, for sure. that judge. Especially if you've seen Henry Cavill's performance in this movie where his only job is to be hot. The man is not giving an Oscar-worthy performance, respectfully. Nor is he particularly emotional. <laughs> but to be like, like there's too much emotion. He doesn't do a yeah. whole lot. It's like, imagine allowing Sherlock Holmes to love his sister. And to do a bad job of it. Like, I think really the more copyright conflicting things that it showed Sherlock Holmes as not being the smartest person in the room ever. He was always wrong. And I, yeah, so I just think that's really funny that they sued him over being too emotional. Henry Cavill said that his portrayal of Sherlock was a lot more emotional to begin with. So they paired it back for the final cut and that it's a character from the page. The legal stuff is really above his pay grade because he's just an actor who was doing his job, you know, 
by following the screenplay and also his direction, which is, I think, a good point. Like, why come after right. the actor? But also, the actors are the ones who are embodying the characters. I don't think that anybody was coming after him. I think that they just asked him for a That's comment, fair. and that was his answer since he didn't write the character. However, because Sherlock Holmes was written so, so long ago, Netflix basically argued that the character is in the public domain and so they can do whatever they want yeah it came out like two years before the sherlock holmes ip became yeah. public domain and so they basically argued it's practically public domain now and then yeah. they won and then this movie in got this made. year 2023 <laughs> is the first year that all of sherlock holmes is in the public domain so i'm just waiting you know how like last year when winnie the pooh became in the public domain and so they made like a winnie the pooh horror film I'm waiting for that to happen to Sherlock Holmes. Like, <laughs> That's so interesting. I feel like Sherlock Holmes has already had so many like franchise expansion situations that nothing like I'm not expecting much, you yeah. know, like he's just so synonymous with like any murder mystery. I do feel also that like Sherlock Holmes is such an established character that people aren't going to mess with him too much. That being said, in my mind, the only valid Sherlock Holmes portrayal is that of Robert Downey Jr., from those two Sherlock Holmes movies that he did with Jude Law. Wow, what a garbage take. I was so preparing myself for you to say Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh boy, holy no. shit. Okay, well, I hate to tell you that you're wrong. Do you watch Good Omens? No. I've been consuming so much Sherlock content because people are connecting it back to good omens and also uh our flag means death and i just feel like it's 2012 on my twitter like all i am consuming is taylor swift hosier <laughs> and sherlock content and i just like it is so 2012 tumblr it hurts but that's okay for our listeners i also don't really watch good omens i watched the first season and everyone is really excited about the second season I do watch Our Flag Means Death, though, as we know from all of my pirate content in episode one of this season. <laughs> I know that to like the Robert Downey Jr. versions is like a flaming take, but I just terrible I take. love them. They're so fun. I have this like vivid and recurring nightmare of the scene from that movie where he's on the meat hook. That part is good. <laughs> it's so scary. That made a very strong impression on me as a 13 year old or whenever the hell that movie came out like i was very like yucky uh. maybe that's why you didn't like the corrupted so much because it brought back the meat hook fear the meat hook oh my gosh the meat hook fear is real i also watched clue last night there were more meat hooks in that movie and i was like no absolutely not honestly i don't think that i've ever seen a movie that used a meat hook that did it badly like every single time i've seen a meat hook up like nice good touch you know like <laughs> Alexandra is pro meat hook. Alexandra vegetarian, known vegetarian, pro meat hook. In On the Waterfront, when they use that meat hook to kill someone, I was like, that's the smartest thing I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> bring it back, roll it back. <laughs> Brilliance. So yeah, what I'm saying to all action movie directors is bring back the meat hook. It's a... Uh... Alexandra, known action movie <laughs> hater, pro meat hook. Oh boy. It's so easy to placate the masses. Sometimes I'm like, Karl Marx was wrong. And then I hear Alexandra talk about the meat hook and I'm like, okay. <laughs> anyway, my biggest question about this movie, not to get you off the topic of meat hooks, is who the audience is. A great because question. I feel like it's definitely like a young adult movie if those exist. And honestly, they, they should. Do. That should be a genre we apply to movies. movies yeah, but exist. I've never heard someone say a young adult movie. I've heard someone say a kid's movie or 
I feel like young adult is like PG-13, you know? Like all Marvel movies are young adult. Yeah, but Marvel can get kind of dark. I feel like there are definitely young adult movies. Like there's like YA movies, but we don't call them YA movies. Yeah. We should. I think that that's definitely the audience of this movie. But also in making a Sherlock Holmes movie, you inherently get a multi-generational audience because it's such a established franchise for sure and i think that maybe that is part of the issue is that this is a sherlock holmes movie that sherlock holmes fans don't like but other people do i was also wondering this because when we've talked about feminism in film before this one felt very much like it was kind of like a training wheels feminism movie again like a trying to teach people how to be feminist but at the same time who's going to watch a girl sherlock holmes movie who's not already there you know, I cannot believe that we have talked about feminism more this season cover- while covering a man than we did when we did Saoirse. That's crazy to me. Uh, well, I think that not to get off the topic of Sam Claflin, who is, of course, near and dear to our hearts this season. But I our feel King, like God among men in Saoirse's season, she was so much more often playing like not like other girls. Mm. And so she was often one of the only girls in the film. And she was True. often not exploring feminist themes, with the exception of some of their later work, like Lady Bird and Little Women. Shout out to Greta Gerwig. I think she explores the female experience more than she explores feminism. Yeah. And like patriarchy. Yeah. Whereas with Sam, we have explored so much extremely toxic masculinity that mm-hmm. it has naturally pivoted to a conversation about feminism. And then lately, he's also been taking a lot of like smaller roles where he is just awful in order to amp up women like the nightingale yeah so yeah i don't know i i don't know who who they thought was gonna watch this movie i also feel like by putting it on netflix you're tapping into a lot of markets all at once yeah and it's had a crazy high marketing budget too like i remember seeing this everywhere i'll go ahead and give you guys a little sneak peek of my overall consensus I thought that if I saw this movie in a movie theater, I would have liked it about half more, like 50% more Okay, than I did just watching. Also, everyone should know that I watched this on my phone. <laughs> so the cinema experience was, I was at work and I had two hours to, yeah, I, I think I would have enjoyed it if I was like fully immersed in it, you know, but it is just far too long and it's kind of boring in that there are a lot of action sequences but they're not necessarily like compelling they're just some action so that you don't fall asleep yeah and then like we're on to the rest of the plot and i also didn't feel like the plot was that compelling it's not so i didn't really care whether or not she found her mom <laughs> yeah and i didn't like really care whether or not sherlock found her like i just wasn't invested the pacing was a serious issue it was just yeah. so slow I think that if I had to walk, like had to really zone in, put my phone away, be in the dark with strangers, <laughs> I would have liked it a lot more. But I also, in general, rate movies that I see in theaters higher than movies that I see in the world. It's actually a little hypothesis I'm testing. So follow me on Letterboxd if you want to see, because I've been tagging all of my reviews that I review from theaters. I'll be curious to hear more yeah. about this. Yep. It's just like how I'm trying to decide what percentage more women authors I read. <laughs> I feel like one of the reasons why I just found it so boring is that, like you said, like no part of the plot was compelling. I didn't care if she found her mom because I had decided pretty early on in the movie that her mom was not a good mom. She was kind of emotionally abusive to her daughter. (laughs) I think that the point is that it's her mom, even if she's like, because that's kind of what she's grappling with the whole time is that she like 
her mom wasn't really there for her but she doesn't that's the thing okay so a big part of this movie is that she is like not brought up in the real world everyone in this movie is obsessed with the real world and they keep bringing up that she's not fit for the real world she's like how old is she like 15 16 yeah she's 16 something like that yeah and everyone keeps talking about how she's not ready for the real world you kind of learn that she like was brought up really outside of society like her family had money but like they didn't really take care of the estate and like Sam Claflin's character Mycroft was like sending money home for them but like it wasn't being like spent well and so the house is kind of falling into ruin and they didn't send Enola to school her mother taught her instead and she taught her all of these really whack according to Mycroft like things like she teaches her how to like play sports and be good at bananagrams <laughs> and word yeah, puzzles. At some point she says that like her daily routine is wake up physical training like fighting reading every book in the library chess lunch (laughs) like so very intense so in that way like she learns through the course of the movie and getting into like the real world that she was brought up very differently but i think she ultimately comes to this place where she's like okay my mom wasn't like a good mom capital g capital m but like i'm really happy with where i am right now so i'm thankful for her and they have this really lovely moment at the end of the film It's like the classic parent thing where the parent is like, I just can't be what you want me to be. And the kid is like, that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that thing that like never happens in real life, but always happens in film. (laughs) I thought that it worked for the plot. I just, it was predictable. 100%. I also didn't particularly care if Sherlock found her because she seemed to be doing fine. And also like Mycroft Yeah, she wasn't like in danger. That was the other thing is maybe if there was some sort of like third threat to her person... Mycroft is trying to send her to school, sure, and she doesn't want to go to school, but, like, there's no reason. Everyone is like, she can't fit in the real world. Like, she's not going to do well. But then never at any point in the movie does she demonstrate that she wouldn't be fine in the real world. Other than the fact that she kind of sucks at fighting, which is not a real world She's competent the whole way through the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, there's not a ton of growth besides accepting that her mom was a shitty mom and also maybe getting better at fighting and she gets her own apartment at some point additionally the only other conflict in the film is figuring out who is chasing lord tewksbury oh yeah i forgot about that it's immediately apparent that it's just his family and it ends up being his grandma and then she completely gives up like she shoots him he lives and then it's fine that was so weird i did not care for that yeah i was like grandma like are you a quitter (laughs) Well, it's just like, it felt very like, cause I saw, I was like, oh, the old lady. Okay. Like, let's get this. Like, and then it's like, she's going to kill her grandson to stop political reform. That's wild. Old people suck. And then her plot is bad. It failed. And she's just like, well, I guess the country can go to hell. Like what? I don't understand. She's a silly lady. The part that I found most annoying that it was not compelling is that like we said, like the training wheels feminism was just not even good or compelling feminism like like i said like the training wheels feminism just feels so flat and i think it's because like this is that exact variety of like quirky girl feminism that only works in if a woman does it like the fact that this was both written and directed and then edited by a man three different men there are that's something that we didn't talk about when we were introducing the movie but a lot of men for a lot of men made this and created this movie and i think that it definitely suffered because of that. Yeah. And I think that honestly, like maybe it's a stereotype to say that a woman could have directed and written this better, but it's true. I think we've seen just in films coming out this year, like Barbie, 
or just on films that we've seen on this podcast this season, that quirky girl feminism is better when it's done by women and it feels less hollow. I think that better is like a tricky statement and that we do a lot of girls rule on this podcast. But like, I definitely think that it's less flat. It's more multidimensional. And I think that we should give Millie Bobby Brown credit for like being a producer on this movie and like working to create depth in that character because actors do work. Everyone support the SAG strike. Thank you. And <laughs> But at the same time, like if you have a script that doesn't fully flesh out your character's motives or allow you the space to do that, then you're still going to end up with a hollow character. So yeah. And clearly the actresses in this movie felt like there was space for that emotional depth. Like Helena Bottom Carter said so in the thing that we read earlier. So I think that it's just underdeveloped like the women are just underdeveloped including the main character and that's not super great yeah i feel like the feminism also relies on a lot of tropes that are particular Mm -hmm. to period pieces also like particularly like the hair down hiked up skirt feminist trope in period movies where it's like this girl is different from other girls because she doesn't like wearing skirts and she doesn't wear a corset unless it's convenient and her hair is never up because she's a free-flowing spirit and i just hate that like that being said, you're right. You're so right. Like the not like other girls discourse is incredibly frustrating in the year of our Lord 2020 when this movie came out. But at the same time, the movie does some things well in that like she definitely like reclaims the corset so that it works for her. Right. And that it's like true. reclaiming the tool of oppression is a good metaphor that a man wrote for this movie. So like I felt like the writing was not that bad. Yeah. And it, there were a lot of parts where I really liked the writing and I thought that it was really funny. And I have some little quotes where I thought the writing was funny. Yeah. But I do understand that, like, the characters could have been developed better. But we say that about literally every action movie. So I think that maybe we just need to come to terms with the fact that this is more action than mystery. Yeah. I also feel a little bit like so many of the times, like we've said earlier, that Sherlock Holmes is wrong in this movie because he's a man. And I feel like that was kind of a consistent theme throughout is that, like, men are wrong and women just consistently know better just because they're women yeah which was flat it could have been fleshed out better like at one point eudoria's friend who leads a girl fight club says to sherlock you see the world so closely but do you see how it's changing she is referencing like the suffrage movement and and his infuriating attention to detail rather than the big picture so it's kind of like a girls and boys look at what the world's differently there's an assumption when mycroft and sherlock are talking in some room and they just completely ignore the Holmes family made when she walks in because like women hearing doesn't mean anything, right? They're never particularly listening. Okay. I think that maybe what happened here is that the writers of this movie tried to create a Elizabeth Banks situation where remember how two weeks ago on Charlie's Angels, she said that she wasn't making a movie for girls. She was making a movie for like everyone. I think that that is probably the mindset that we walked into here. Like, this definitely wasn't a movie for women, not based on the marketing, not based on the writing, not based on any part of it. And I think that because of that, some of the like feminist themes (laughs) were underdeveloped or fell flat or were hollow, shallow, any of those things. Like, this wasn't a movie for girls. The parts that were for girls suffered. Yeah. I think just to go back to your earlier, like your starting off question of who is this movie for? I agree that it is definitely a young adult film, like in tone, in feeling, in pacing. It is a young adult film. It's for people in their teens, which is weird because I feel like by saying now that this movie is not for girls, it's weird to say that like this movie, which is for teens. And I think 
we would agree that most media for teens is for girl teens, right? That feels weird. That's why I asked the question. I really and truly think that this movie might not have been made with its audience in mind. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like the people that made this movie and the people that marketed this movie were not on the same page. Or maybe they were banking on it being one of those movies that is like definitely for younger audiences, but like adult audiences really latch on to in like a really weird niche way, (laughs) you know, like becoming a cult classic almost. And I don't think that that is the case here like i certainly will not be watching this movie ever again nor encouraging anyone else to watch it and i don't know of anybody that like stands this movie because it's also like not a very good coming of age story like it's not super relatable i mean i guess it is in that all teenagers think that they're alone oh her name is enola because it's alone spelled backwards that feels like an important plot detail that we just like didn't bring up and i'm like okay emo like we get it She says it so many times. Yeah. She's like, alone, that's me. And I'm like, shut up. You're 13. No, because then at the end, you learn that she's not alone. She's the opposite of alone. She's Enola. She's alone backwards. Right. Kind of part of this is a question that I want to ask you, which is, do you think that Enola as a character is feminine? And does it matter? The day that we were recording this podcast, I have just listened to our Charlie's Angels episode. And I think that this is kind of exactly what I meant when I was talking about women who are created outside of society and thus not feminine because her mom raises her like separate from polite society and that's so much of the conflict in like Enola doesn't want to go to school because she doesn't want to have to like learn the nonsense that is being a woman and she's so true and valid for that but like because of that she is like very masculine coded because she like doesn't want to wear the dress and doesn't want to go to school and doesn't want to learn how to be like a proper lady and she's not really interested in marriage or getting married and she's not even really interested in her love interest for most of the movie so i think that for those reasons she is not particularly feminine but i don't think that she is as masculine coded as some other like she's definitely not created by men either because she's created by her mother so like I think she's very different from the like little action heroes that I was talking about in that Charlie's Angels episode. You're like every character Scarlett Johansson has ever played types. (laughs) But rather, I think that she is she is supposed to be this like representation of just like personhood. Like, I don't know, like she's just like she's woman outside of society, you know, like they're obviously her experience is shaped by the fact that she's a woman and she moves through the world differently because she's a girl. And at many points, she has to disguise herself as a little boy so that she can, like, do stuff. I don't really think that Enola's gender matters that much to her. It means a lot to the movie because the movie has very girl boss undertones. But I don't think that Millie Bobby Brown particularly plays her as explicitly feminine or explicitly masculine. And I think that that's part of the reason that Gen Z really likes Millie Bobby Brown. I think this is a great point because definitely every character in the movie except for Eudoria wants Enola to be feminine, right? They are all trying to get her to wear the right clothes, go to the right school. You know, they're trying to educate her into wanting a husband. They're trying to, like, teach her how to be a proper lady. And particularly her two brothers are very invested in this. Sherlock becomes less invested in this as he learns that she has a brain. (laughs) Crazy. Women can be smart, too. And I feel like because she is resisting society's femininity, she looks masculine. But in reality, she seems, like you said, much more gender fluid. And I think that that is completely encapsulated by the 40 million times that she changes clothes with a man in this film. 
there are constant scenes and they are always played as jokes, which I don't think that I loved that much, where she goes up to any man and says, I'll pay you five pounds to swap clothes with you. They always immediately look uncomfortable, which is the joke. And I didn't love that. Yeah, you also never see them in the swapped clothes. You don't. You just see her in the new clothes. But also, like, she does put on dresses, like, multiple times. She puts on dresses. She even puts on a corset. And I think at one point, even though this is a very, very strongly anti-corset film, she finds out that corsets are useful for, like, when you get stabbed. (laughs) And she puts stuff in them. Like, she hides things in her corset. And she's like, yes. And then I'm like, yes, she is reclaiming the tools of the patriarchy. Yeah. She, like, makes it very explicit, too, which I think kind of is a further to your point about this being a young adult movie is she's like, since I'm choosing to wear this tool of oppression, it's totally fine. That was so <laughs> whacked out. I was like, wow, that's, I think, probably why people don't like the fourth wall breaks is just because, like, it makes the symbolism a little heavy handed. But if this movie is for young adults, then, like, the fourth wall breaks might be helpful. Yeah, I think also another th- about this that makes it, like, for young adults is, like, the heavy emphasis on generational tension. There is such a strong emphasis on tension between Enola and her brothers, between Lord Tewksbury and his family, between like the youth generally and the adults generally. And like there's a bunch of like youth out here who are like bucking tradition and not wanting to do the things that they are told. Lord Tewksbury, the whole thing about his family wanting to get rid of him is that he was going to vote for female suffrage. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like bucking He's tradition. He's a woke king. An he ally. is a woke king. Yeah. Yeah. I think something also worth mentioning that I hadn't really thought about until just now is that, and you know this, but I don't think our listeners do, is that this movie is really intense about the feminism. The girl fight club, her mom is like creating bombs to like blow things up. Their activism is very violent. And I feel like now is just an appropriate time to say that the suffrage movement in the UK was a lot more violent than the suffrage movement in America. And that they don't really explain that super well. And so for parts of the movie, I feel like Eudoria comes across really like whacked out, like crazy bonkers. And it makes her seem extra like a bad mom. And you can say whatever you want about bringing explosives into your home. It was just a more politically violent movement in the UK. Here's the thing. I didn't feel like, and I know that I said I was going to talk about why I thought the missing mom plot was whack. I don't think that her mom had to go missing for anything in this movie to happen. You know? Okay. I know that her motivation is finding her mom, and that's the reason that she gets caught up with Tewksbury, but I just feel like, genuinely, she could have had a mom the whole time, or been an orphan, and it would not have changed the plot. I think that probably a more compelling plot would be Mycroft comes home because the money is whack, things are weird with the money, and he gets in a fight with his mom, about sending Enola to school and then she runs away so she doesn't have to go to school and she meets the missing Marquis, gets wrapped up in it that way. And then you still have Sherlock trying to bring her back and you still have the conflict with the mom between the siblings. But yeah, I don't really understand why her mom like goes away other than like at the end of the movie in her like I'm not alone speech, she says that like all of the Holmeses are alone. And I think that that might just be they just decided that the mom has to run away because Surely your kids aren't as fucked up as Sherlock Holmes and Enola Holmes if you are a present mom, (laughs) which is maybe not a great message, but I think that is their explanation for having the mom run away. Just so much about this movie I did not care for. Yeah, I can tell you really didn't like it. Yeah, sorry. I thought that it was kind of cute. There were some little lines that I thought were very funny, particularly 
when she called him the Marquis of Bothersomeshire. I was like, yes, get him, eat him. Like, that is so funny. I liked that her name is Enola because it's alone backwards, which means she's the opposite of alone. Like, she's enough for herself. I liked the she's enough plotline. I didn't really care for the whole having the love interest of it all. I thought that they could have just been friends and that maybe that would be okay. Also, I thought the movie was like cute and kind of quirky, but I'm not going to watch it again. Yeah. And I think that's exactly where I'm at too. This is my second time seeing this movie. And I remember thinking when I first watched it, that left no impression on me at all. I don't care to ever see it again. It wasn't awful to watch, but it was not something that I need to revisit. And that's where I'm at again, is that it was like too long and I was tired. All of it just swept right over me because I didn't care, you know? Yeah. It didn't feel like a particularly necessary feminist critique of Sherlock Holmes. It didn't feel like it was doing feminism well and the plot was not compelling to me. And for that reason, I'm out. Thank you, Sharks. For that reason, I am out. On the topic of you brought up the Viscount Irisum Marquis of Bothersomeshire, I was like, are you going to fucking stop calling him by his full legal name every single time you reference him? Yeah. Every single time she said, the Viscount Tewksbury, Marquis of Baselweather. And I was like, shut up. But it was a little it. joke. She was making yeah. a little joke at him because his name is too long and very yeah, silly. I don't think we ever learned his like first name, like his Christian name. Bothersomeshire. Bothersomeshire. <laughs> If I were him, I'd or if I were her, I'd have been abbreviating that to like Took, you know, <laughs> Took or Mark. Yeah, she does call him Tewksbury for most of the movie. Mark with a Q as opposed to Mark with a C from Love Wedding Repeat. Oh my gosh. Callback after callback in this episode. Yeah. I also know that you did not love Millie Bobby Brown's performance in this film, but I thought that she ate no crumbs. That girl was, she was going for a vibe and she was executing it. I think that she does like indignant and like frustrated very well i thought that she was doing a pretty good job and i think that maybe millie robbie brown should do more period pieces but i'm also someone that thinks that there should be more silly period pieces what i'm saying is that if sense and sensibility and sea monsters ever gets its movie remake i would like millie Bobby brown to be in it thank you you're so right i love a quirky period piece that's why i was kind of mad that i didn't love this one because i really wanted yeah. to i think this one is trying to do a skosh too much i think that perhaps if this one was trying to do less plot wise it would be a lot more fun yeah it was kind of trying to pack a lot of jokes into a lot of plot on yeah. that note though like speaking of millie bobby brown's performance i think that all of the actors did a fine job helena bottom carter did exactly what she always does which is getting typecast as the quirky weird uncomed lady i felt like sam was a little caricatured it was a little goofy for me being a little bit hammy like yeah it was a which little is the point yeah like he's supposed to be silly he has evil mustache and he wears a top hat so he yeah. looks like the Monopoly man, but if he were evil, actually, the Monopoly man is evil. He is a capitalist. <laughs> Literally the entire time I was looking at Sam, I was like, wow, he's eating right now. Like the posture, the facial expression, the costuming are such a specific vibe. And I no. didn't even think about how it was Monopoly man vibe. Like, yeah, <laughs> he looked like he needed a monocle. Like he was squinting like with half of his face. And you're so yeah. right. Like, that's exactly what he was doing. He does have this very interesting moment when we think that he might have gotten Anola and convinced her to go to school. And they're in the carriage ride. They're in the carriage going to school where he says something along the lines of like, even our mom, who you really look up to, like got married and did like the normal thing. And then she's like, 
but our mom wasn't happy. And I just felt like that was a good moment for both of their characters. Yeah. But then that was the only growth we kind of got for them as like siblings, you know? And so I would have liked to see more moments like that because I was like, Sam is making some point. Her mom did do it both, did become a lady and also like chose a separate path for herself. And then Enola also made some good points, which is that Mycroft hates his mom because she was not present and was a bad mom because she was forced into getting married and being a, like a proper woman. I'm going to be real with you. I think I might have been asleep during that part. <laughs> and now I'm questioning. It's like a it's like a one minute scene. Like it is. It's so it's so baby. That's what happens. That's the end of the conversation. He says, you know, even mom got married and Enola is like, OK, she was unhappy. And then he is like, hmm. Hmm. OK interesting now i'm wondering if i was asleep during any other good parts <laughs> but the if only I was, 10 minutes of good movie <laughs> if i was that's a testament to how long and boring this movie was that i fell yeah. asleep it I was don't fall really asleep long during movies i fell asleep during a couple of movies this season but that's okay i think the only things that i have left to really talk about before we like wrap up are a couple of the technical elements we've already talked through a bunch of them But I just want to say once again that, like, the set dressers, whoever decorated this set, phenomenal job. It looked so dope. This was a really pretty movie. Like, yeah, it it looked great. It was amazing. I love when production designers on period movies dress up old houses to make them look, like, bright and lived in. I'm like, yes, bring that past to life. Like, that's how they really, like, should have looked instead of just, like, plain and sterile. So just a quick kudos again to everyone who worked on making this movie look the way that it did. I thought that some of the shots were kind of neat. But mostly, I just want to give another shout out. We've talked about costuming a little bit, but I want to dive in for just a second. Thank you, Consulata Boyle, for the costuming because I thought it looked really cool. Good costuming. Earlier in the film, when Enola and Sherlock first meet up, they are wearing the same color. Her dress and his tie match. And I think that is kind of our first symbol that Sherlock is going to be more empathetic to her and more willing to help her along her route to self-independence, etc., and then later when she wears her red dress, which is like her first like real significant costume change, I think it does a lot to make her look out of place because she is immediately when she puts on that red dress in a very drab location. And so I think that that helps. And then finally, just one other note on the costuming is that no freaking way was she wearing a corset and all those skirts to like leg swipe people. Like she was street fighting in a corset. And Tewksbury also at one point comes out of a carpet bag and is not sweaty at all. That was really funny. When <laughs> that man unfolded himself from that bag, I was like, whoa, this is like the opposite of Timothy Chalamet trying to take up all the space that he can in a, on a piece of furniture. This man is trying to get little. <laughs> yeah. So I just feel like people could have looked a little grosser after their fights and after being shoved in small spaces. When has a person ever looked gross in a movie for sweat. When has a person ever looked sweaty in a movie from fighting? They always look sweaty from like nervous or like running, you know? Good point. I guess what I'm That's asking for from baby. all of film then is more realism. No, no. Because <laughs> you want to watch the 10 minute long drive scene in Bullet? Would that make you feel better? I'll, I've got a great <laughs> 10 minute long Steve McQueen bit for you. It's the real so Alexandra, it's sound. so real. <laughs> like you get to hear the car sounds. It's so real that he goes up and down those San Francisco streets and there are hills. That's crazy. Can you imagine? Now I feel like I actually am going to watch the 10 minute long car scene from Bullet just so I can make fun of it better. Just to know what I lived through. (laughs) One day that man is going to listen to this podcast and he's going to be like, wow. 
Yeah, one day when I we made, made an impression big. on her. <laughs> well, I don't have really anything else left to say about this movie. I think it's clear since we've already given our ratings that we didn't care for it that much, <laughs> but that it wasn't like a bad movie. Yes, I would like to leave everyone with my letterboxed review, which is that three and a half stars, Sherlock Holmes reluctantly decides that women can have a little right as a treat. How do you feel Sam? about Sam? Sam, I feel mid about. I feel that Sam deserves in this movie perhaps a 2.5 or 3. Okay. Because he was barely on screen, so there's okay. not a lot to work with. All when right. he was on screen, I didn't care that much about his presence, but also like he was carrying himself in a kind of funny way. And I think that this was a different character for him, even though it was still toxically male and very conservative and had mommy issues, which is a trend. Yeah. I think that this was not at all a new role for Sam, but it was a little bit sillier in the same role we've seen him in. That being said, I liked him a lot more in this movie than I liked him in Charlie's Angels. So I will be giving Sam a whopping 3.5 in this movie. You're welcome. Whoa. I know. Well, thank you all for listening to us talk about Enola Holmes today. And since you love us so much, if you could go to Instagram and give us a follow at where do I know them from, that would be lovely. And if you're feeling extra generous and you want to support Alexandra and I talking more about the 10 minute long drive scene from Bullet or more about the feminist symbols in movies, you could go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you could leave us a review and tell everyone how much you like listening to this podcast. And it would really mean so much to us. And if you don't like us and you want to give us a one-star review, this has been the Joe Rogan Podcast. One more thing before we leave. I just want to give a quick shout out to James, one of our loyal followers. I really appreciate the feedback that you've been giving us. And I'm glad that you've been enjoying listening to the podcast. I hope that all of you continue to do so because it just warms our hearts to hear from everyone. And yeah, tune in next week for our next movie.